the way, let's now look at Psalm 23. This is God's holy and true word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that this morning we are able to look in your word. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see the majesty of our Lord Jesus in this text. We pray that you would use this time to remind us of your great care for us and your great care for the lost people of the world. We pray that you will equip us now to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is, uh, outside of John 3.16, Psalm 23 might be one of the most well-known passages of the Bible. It's, uh, it's said that it's one of the most common passages that's read at funerals. It's also thought to be one of the most common passages even at weddings. And it's also said that it's probably one of the most common passages read in hospitals, particularly when people are dying. Psalm 23. You know, given what uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, we know that this psalm is about him. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so he owns and claims this psalm for himself. What's amazing about how he does that is when you look at the Hebrew of the first line, the Lord is my shepherd, it's, it says Yahweh is my shepherd. And in Hebrew, that's the word that the Jews would use to substitute for God's actual name because they wanted to protect his name and only use it when they absolutely had to. So Yahweh actually means God's covenant name, the name that he gave to Moses before the Exodus, which is I am. He said to Moses, tell them I am sent you. And so now we see that Yahweh is my shepherd is what David has written. And so we see that when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he was totally owning this psalm for himself. As he should, because it's about him. We love this psalm. It's comforting. It's powerful. We love it because we love the imagery of Christ as our shepherd, because we know that a shepherd takes care of his sheep. I think I think another reason why we love this psalm so much is three things. We all really long to be content. We long to feel like we've got everything we need. We're content. We don't need anything else. Someone comes along and says, you want more? And we say, no, I'm content. You know, we want that feeling. We long for that feeling of contentedness. Another thing that we all long for is courage. So many of us face really difficult tasks every year, every week, maybe even every day. And we long to have courage. Everybody's 
flipping out about Ben Affleck as the new Batman. I mean, it's probably not going to be. It's, he's okay. It's, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. Think about this, though. All this stuff about superheroes and all this stuff, we, we love this idea that there are, there are people with courage. And we long for that. We want to have courage, too. And then another thing that we all, our hearts all long for is certainty about the future. You and I want to know that in the final analysis, ultimately, everything's going to be okay. That's why we love this psalm so much, because it addresses those things. Here's your gospel fact for this morning. Faith in Christ opens the door to contentment, courage, and certainty about the future. That's why this psalm has so much power. So if you're making an outline, we're just going to talk about those three things, contentment, courage, and certainty about the future. So let's start with verses 1 through 3. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We like to just walk right through the text here. And so I'd love for you to be looking at those words as we talk about them. So 1 through 3, contentment in Christ. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Here's your first thing to write down this morning. Jesus leads his people on paths that reveal his ability to provide. Jesus leads his people on paths that reveal his ability to provide. Think about that first line. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's another way of saying the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He has provided for me. He's my shepherd. And then what David does is he, having been a shepherd, he knows the life of a shepherd. He knows the life of a shepherd is always leading a flock on a journey. And so he paints this picture of a shepherd who provides for his sheep. Look at this in verse 2. He talks about uh, green pastures. Causing me to lie down in green pastures. That's a picture of food. That's a picture of the sheep being led to a place where there's so much grass that they don't have to even move that much. They can just lie down and just eat and eat and fill up on grass. Have you ever actually put grass in your mouth? So gross. But it's this picture. It's this picture of abundant provision. And notice that it's plural. It's plural. Pastures after pastures that this shepherd leads his sheep to places where they get what they need. They get the food that they need. Then he talks about being led by still waters. Now, uh, commentators look at that and they say it must be the place where they get a drink. Probably makes sense. But the emphasis is really on that word still. And in fact, a very literal translation of it is waters at rest or waters of rest. And so it's not only do they have their food and maybe something to drink, but now they've got a place where they can actually lay down and take a nap. Now, you think about that when the sheep have been fed and then they've had a chance to rest. How do they feel? Pretty good. Verse three, he restores my soul. It's this life, it's this journey that a shepherd takes his sheep on where he makes sure that they are winding up in pastures where they're going to get fed and winding up in places where they can get water and they can rest and then they are restored, they are rejuvenated, they're re-energized to continue on that journey which is basically what their life is. It's a journey of following that shepherd to those places where he is able to provide them with what they need. Now, 
Look at uh, three, verse three, the second part of it, how he leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, our minds, as they should, when we see the word righteousness, they very often jump to the moral and ethical aspect of the word righteous, which it should. And you've, you may have heard it preached from this uh, passage before that God leads us to do the right thing. Amen. He does. But there's a certain aspect of the way this is written where you can actually translate this as he leads me in the right paths. So it's not necessarily referring directly to our the righteous things that we do from God's leading, but the fact that he leads us on the right paths. It's really referring to his righteousness and that the paths that you and I are on are the right ones. That's where he leads us. He leads us down the right paths for the purpose of revealing his glory. That's what it means when it says for his name's sake. Anytime we see for his name's sake in scripture, it's another way of saying for his glory. He's doing these things to reveal to us that he is glorious, that he is the one who provides. And so we have a shepherd in Christ who leads us in places where he will reveal his ability to provide for us. He's very intentional. God is 100% intentional, even in the path that he has you walking down. He leads us so that we can see his abilities. Uh, there's this um, illusionist. He doesn't like to be called a magician. His name is Danny Ray. And yes, I just heard the reaction because the kids have seen him. We've had Dan- Danny Ray has uh, done his illusions at some of the camps, the summer camps that some of our kids have gone to. This guy's crazy. I don't know how he does these things. I mean, he does things with cards and uh, coins and other things. You're just sitting there you're, the whole time. You're just like, is this is this for real? And uh, the one thing that drives me nuts is he does this thing where he asks for somebody to come from the group and they come down and he gives them a quarter and then a Sharpie marker. And he has them write their initials on the quarter. Then the quarter is placed on the table and there's a little jar put over it. Then... Uh, He has somebody, uh, he hands this can of Diet Coke to the person and they look at it and they're like, yeah, that's a can of Diet Coke. And so then he opens up, he pours it out and when it's empty, he starts shaking it and there's something in there kind of thudding around. And what is it? Well, he cuts open the can and it's a lime. Of course, right? There's a lime in the can. Okay. And so then he has the, the young person lift up the bowl that was covering the coin and it's not there. So then he cuts open the lime and the quarter pops out. Are you kidding me? I mean, how is that possible? I don't even know. This makes, this drives me crazy. I've not, I've had nightmares about this. <laughs> but what he does is he takes you on this little journey piece by piece, setting you up so that at the moment, at the big reveal, you say, wow, that's what Christ does for us, except his Grace and gifts are not illusions, but the real thing. Christ leads us as our shepherd down paths where he will reveal to us his ability to provide. And I'm not talking about getting rich and famous. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel garbage. I'm talking about provision. The things that we need to be able to continue on our journey and glorify and enjoy him. And I'll tell you what, Hannah and I could tell you countless stories of provision, of the ways that God has just opened up the floodgates and provided for us in times of need and in times of plenty. He is a provider. But I want to tell you a story I recently heard about another family. Uh, It's unbelievable. They felt called to look into adoption. 
And so they started talking to an adoption agency, and uh, they, they decided that they felt called to adopt a little girl from Korea. But they didn't have any money, and they didn't know what they were going to do. And so they began to pray, and they mentioned only to one person that they were thinking about this, to the, the woman's mother. And the woman's mother gets out her pen and paper and writes letters to all of her friends. And so as they're praying over the next few weeks, as this couple is praying, checks start to come in saying, for your adoption. And so after about three weeks, they're, farther, they're, they're down the road with the uh, adoption agency, and the adoption agency is able to tell them that they needed $15,535 to complete the adoption. And so they added it up. And to their amazement, the checks equaled $15,500. So off by 35. So probably not God. That was probably just a coincidence, right? Until two days later when they had a babysitter and she was writing out the check and not even realized that she had written the check for $35, went to hand it to the babysitter who didn't know anything of the situation and said, no, you keep it for the adoption. On the money. Literally. And... Those of us who've been walking with Christ, we've seen this. We've seen this abundant provision. We've seen it in the way that he provides things that we would never imagine being able to have. Not Again, not rich and famous stuff. I'm talking about good things that enable us to continue to carry on his mission. He provides. Jesus is a shepherd who provides us with what we need. And the proof is that he has given us the greatest provision in the cross. The proof that he's a provider is that he's the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. In John 10, look at this, and he not only says that he is the good shepherd, but he says that the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The two things that you and I need more than anything else in the world is forgiveness and righteousness. And through Christ's death on the cross, he gives us the gift of faith that we might have forgiveness of all of our sins and be declared righteous. Paul says in Romans 8:32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ takes us on these journeys to places where he can reveal his ability to provide. And we can be content because the cross proves that God provides. The more that we focus on the fact that all we really need is forgiveness and righteousness and we have it in Christ, that's the power for contentedness. He leads us to the places where he can show that. Now, not just content. He leads us also to to places of courage. Look at verses 4 and 5. We'll talk about courage, having courage in Christ. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's your next point. Jesus leads his people on paths that reveal his ability to protect. Not just provide, but also he leads us down paths that will reveal his ability to protect. That phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, it it just means utter darkness. It means ridiculously hard trials. It means scary. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know what I'm going to do with this situation that's on my hands. It means what some of you are in right now and most of us have been in and others will be in. These very difficult circumstances. But notice how he says, I walk through, even as I walk through the valley. We have a shepherd who does walk us through these difficult times, but it's through them. We don't live in them forever. 
All of our difficult trials have a temporary nature to them. Even if it's a trial we carry our whole entire life because we know that in the next life, in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no trials. But thinking about that and realizing the temporary nature of the struggles that we're in is powerful. And then also knowing that he's with us. Look at the the other part of four there. You are with me. He says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And this is where it takes faith. Because exactly when we usually feel like God is not with us is when we're in the trial. But what this psalm is telling you and me is that, no, I am with you. I am with you. Those of you who are struggling incredibly, incredibly right now, Christ, your shepherd, is saying to you in this text, I am with you. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those were... uh, tools basically that the shepherd would use he had a rod to smash the skulls of lions or bears that would try to attack the sheep he had his his staff which is the normal thing you think of when you think shepherd the thing with the the hook on it he would use that maybe to pull back a sheep that was getting into trouble falling off the cliff or something like that and so he's got these tools and so we have a picture of a god who has the tools to deliver us at any moment and that is comforting comforting to know that whatever trial we're in He can get us out at any second, which means as long as we're in it, he's got a purpose. There's a purpose in these dark paths, the dark parts of our path that Jesus leads us down. And it's to reveal his protection. Look at verse five. You prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. Where is there a more scary place a more worrisome place than surrounded by enemies. And he's saying, this is where you've set a table for me. A table. Think about this. The provision in this part is just like in the first part where we we were given grass, we were given water, we were given rest. Here we've got food to eat on a table, something to drink. Surely it's an elaborately set table and a chair to sit on. In fact, he's giving us the exact same things in the very dark times that he gives us in the bright times as well. You anoint my head with oil. This shows us that God is the one when you are struggling, when you are walking through a real challenge, those moments of some sort of soothing that you get is from him. It's how he shows you that he's with you. One of the things that sheep have to battle with is bugs that can get down through their wool and bite their scalp. And it is ridiculously painful for them. And a shepherd can tell when one of his sheep is going through that because they just can't stand right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very sad and frustrating. And so what shepherds would do is take oil and pour it on the top of their head. It would seep down uh, through the wool and, and land on their scalp and soothe. Those moments in your struggling and suffering when you feel that little bit of relief, that's him saying, I'm with you. There's a purpose in this. My cup overflows. David, remembering his life and all the times that God provided, even abundantly when he was being pursued by his enemies. See, Christ is the type of shepherd, he is our shepherd, that not only provides for us in sort of the idyllic sense where things are wonderful and we're like, thank you, I can't believe you would do this for me, but also that he provides for us and protects us in our most darkest moments. And to to say, for David to say that this is in the presence of my enemies means that sometimes the best place for us to see how protective Jesus is, is when we're in the darkest places. Uh, Some of you may have heard of Antoinette Tuff. 
What a perfect name for her. Antoinette Tuff is a teacher. Actually, she's a school clerk up in Atlanta. And in recent weeks, uh, there was almost a school shooting. Young man came in to the school where Antoinette Tuff works, and he had an automatic rifle and plenty of bullets and clips, and he basically told her that he was there to kill children. Antoinette, a believer, began to talk to him and just continued to tell him that he didn't have to do this, that he, he was loved. She told never met him. She told him that she said, I love you. She told him about her losing her husband and how God had helped her through that. And she was basically, you know, walking this guy through the gospel pretty much and doing everything possible to just continue to talk to him, even though at some point he fired off a couple rounds in the direction of the police officers. And she just continued to talk, continued to trust. And and in the end, he put down his gun and he was taken off to get some treatment. But they, the news, they interviewed her and it was incredible because they said, how did you feel? And she said, oh, I was terrified. And then they said, you're a real hero. And she said, no, no, I, I give it all to God. He's, he's the hero. And the woman said, yeah, but you, you kept it together, didn't you? And Antoinette just said, only, only by his mercy, only by his grace. Because she knew. She knew that in that absolute darkest moment of her life that the Lord was her shepherd. And she could trust him. And she did. See, courage, courage, you know, is is believing that God is with you, that you have a shepherd who's with you and will protect you. That's what courage is. Courage is not the belief that you can accomplish something in the face of great challenge that you can do it. That's not courage. That's arrogance. Courage is believing the reason you can step forward and do this thing that God is calling you to do, whatever it may be. Courage is believing that you can do it because he's with you. Because he will protect you. Because he's giving you strength. That's what true courage is. True courage comes from believing that God is with you to protect you like he was with Daniel and his buddies. You know from Daniel chapter 3, look at this. Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, he doesn't understand. He's thrown these guys in a fiery furnace. They should be burning up. But this is what he says. He asks his servants, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered to and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered, And said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Those men were Christ was with them. Just like he's with you in your fire. He's with you right now. Courage, biblical courage, believing that we can do things, we can have strength because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. That type of courage is what is keeping the Christians in Egypt from denying that Jesus is their shepherd. They're standing firm and they're being terrorized. Courage is, is, it's here too. It's, it's why so many of you have, some of you at least have jobs you can't stand, but you courageously go to it every day because you need to provide for your family. And he gives you courage for that. Biblical courage, the idea that you can't do it, but God will give you the strength to do what's right, is what is causing some of you to consider going to the mission field. Real, true, biblical courage is what we receive with Christ as our shepherd because he's with us. And you know what? Some of you may be needing to do something, and what you've been lacking is courage. And I just want to throw this out there. If there's someone or many of you or some of you that know that God's been putting something on your heart, That it's time for you to do something about something. 
This is where your courage comes from. The fact that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you'd be called to do, your shepherd is with you. He'll be with you. He protects you. He'll give you the strength. So I want to encourage you to name whatever it is that you need to courageously do and do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do it believing that Christ is your shepherd and he will give you the courage. The proof is that on the cross, Jesus has already protected us from what would be our darkest hour. Again, this is where the cross comes in. You and I, the darkest possible moment we would ever face would be the judgment day of God, the day that we would face the wrath of God for our sin. But because of Christ, what he's done on the cross, you and I will never see that. Those who believe. And so the reality is that because Christ has paid for our sin, we can know that he will protect us from everything. He will protect us. We can be content because the cross proves that God provides. And now we're looking at how we can have courage because the cross proves that God protects. Okay. Lastly, let's talk about certainty uh, about the future in Christ. Certainty about the future. See, one of the things that would make life so easy is if, you know, everything you entered into, whether you need courage or not, if you knew 100% sure that everything ultimately was going to be okay, then it wouldn't, everything would be easy, right? But this is what this is saying. We actually can have that certainty in Christ to face anything. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last point here is this, that Jesus leads his people on paths that get them home. Our shepherd will get us home to the new heavens and new earth where we'll never face any trials. We'll never have any unmet needs whatsoever. It will be this amazing, amazing eternity that we can only imagine at this point. He will get us home. And look, he says, surely David is sure of this. And he talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And the word dwell gives us the sense of being in God's presence. To dwell in the house of the Lord is to be in the very presence of God. And to do so forever means we're always in God's presence. Which is really good news because when we want to be in his presence, we are. But even when we feel like running from God or we don't feel like he's close, the good news is if we're always in his presence, then he must be chasing after us if we're ever feeling like we're not or if we're ever trying to get away from him. He hunts us down. And that's what we see in this word follow. When it says goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, what, he, what he's saying is that word follow in English, it's, it's a little weak to just translate it as follow because it really is more like pursue. Goodness and mercy will pursue me. Goodness and mercy will hunt me down and follow me all the days of my life. And that's such a powerful image for us to think about. The fact that God's mercy and goodness chase after us, hunt us down. I heard one pastor refer to it like this. Uh, God has two dogs. God has two sheepdogs. One's name is goodness and one's name is mercy. And whenever one of God's little lambs, whenever one of the good shepherd's lambs tries to get away, uh, one of those dogs is going to run after him and bring him back. So maybe somebody, one sheep from this side of the flock keep, is heading off in another direction and boom, there goes mercy running after that, running after that lamb to bring him back to the flock. Or maybe there's a lamb on this side heading off uh, away from the shepherd, away from the flock and boom, there goes goodness running after that sheep to bring that sheep back to the fold and back to the shepherd. The goodness and mercy of God hunt us down even when we are trying to get away from him. And here's the thing is like David understood 
in saying this, we can see that David really understood how sin affects us and how it makes us question and wonder whether God really is with us, whether he loves us. David knew that uh, one, of the, one of the ways sin really affected him was when people would sin against him. Saul was sinning against David. He was chased by Saul and, uh, you know, Saul was always trying to kill David. So David knew what it was like for people to sin against him. And he, wa- he, he, he knew he wanted to be delivered from that type of feeling. But he also knew what it was like when he sinned. He knew that there was a lot of darkness in his life from his own sin. Like when he sinned with Bathsheba and had a, he had an affair and was involved in murder And so David is showing here his understanding of how God chases after us, either when we're sinned against and we're suffering because of that, or when we sin against people and we're struggling with the guilt that we feel. And I I was able to see an incredible real-life illustration of this recently. Many of you know that uh, in October... We had a tragic death in our congregation. Dr. Forrest Flanagan was riding his bike, and a young man who was driving under the influence uh, lost control of his car, drove off the road, struck and killed Dr. Flanagan, and um, it was just this absolutely devastating, devastating uh, thing for our church and particularly for the Flanagan family. And so some of you know that the court proceedings have been going on now for some time and finally just recently now the final court date came where this young man was going to be sentenced and so i was able to be there uh, mike was able to be there as well uh, supporting Kristen and the boys as they were there to give testimony at the sentencing of this young man who took the life of dr flanagan and it was just this amazing scene because goodness and mercy were there hunting. And um, like, for example, uh, the Flanagan family was able to give testimony. And so Kristen and uh, Chipper, who's the oldest son, they both had an opportunity to testify about how this has affected their lives uh, before the judge, right before he was going to be sentencing this young man. And what they did, both of them, one after another, is they took this time, they took this opportunity to, instead of saying, hey, hey, judge, throw the book at him, instead they said, judge, I just want to take this time to speak directly to this young man. And they both, one after another, they looked him in the eyes and they told him, we forgive you. They said, I forgive you and we want you to know that you can receive forgiveness, that uh, you don't have to live with this guilt, that if you will trust in Christ, um, you know, he will forgive you of all of your sins, even this. And it was this incredible thing of seeing these people who had been hurt so badly, so badly by this young man offering him forgiveness. And every one of us was sitting there saying, saying, this is, this is the goodness of God. Only the goodness of God could empower people who've been sinned against so egregiously to say, I forgive you, to truly forgive somebody for this horrible thing that they've done. Goodness, the goodness of God was in the room hunting people down, showing how good God is in enabling and empowering his people to forgive when they are sinned against, even in these horrible ways. But goodness wasn't the only dog dog in the room. Because at the same time, here's this kid 
who, as far as we know, did not have any relationship with God. And here's this kid, and he's hearing from the people that he sinned against, maybe more than he'll ever sin against any other person for the rest of his life. Here are these people saying to him, we forgive you. God will forgive you if you'll trust in Christ for your salvation. And so not only was goodness hunting, but mercy Mercy was in the room hunting that kid down, chasing him, pursuing him, drawing him to the shepherd for forgiveness. And so it's this powerful, such a powerful picture of what David is saying here in Psalm 23, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And it ultimately is this beautiful picture of the fact that we can be certain about the future because the cross proves that God is both good and merciful. And so what that means is you and I who are following Christ, that you and I who our shepherd is Jesus, we know the end result. We know that no matter what happens in this life, uh, people sinning against us will never tear us away from our shepherd. And even our own sin will never tear us away from our shepherd. The goodness and mercy will keep chasing us down, hunting us down, drawing us back to him. And he will delete. He's going to deliver us home. Like I said before, Jesus leads his people on paths to get them home and our eventual home after our earthly journey with Christ. Our eventual home is the new heavens and new earth where nobody will sin against us ever again. And we won't be able to sin or ever feel guilt or shame either. We'll be in a perfect place with perfected people, with our perfect God forever. And so no matter what happens in our life, if Jesus is our shepherd, we know we're going to get home. We know that even if we try try to get off track, one of God's sheepdogs is going to chase us down, his goodness or his mercy. And so we know we have a shepherd who leads his people on paths that get them home. We can be certain about the future because of Christ and the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just... Praise your name that you would send us the good shepherd to live in our place and die in our place and protect us from ourselves, to lead us home. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.